Welcome to episode 31 of the Sachin and Adam show. We're with Elisa Lillycrap today. Um, she is really, really big on startups. So Elisa won the Holt Prize at Sydney University, which is a massive sort of uh, startup social enterprise competition at Sydney Uni. And she's been part of Y Combinator. And we're super excited to have this chat today because me and Sachin are really interested in innovations. We've both worked in startups, like quite a few different startups in our lifetime. Um, and we just love the idea of sort of being part of um, growing businesses and understanding how they work and what they do. Yeah. And we're always on the lookout of like other student leaders and stuff we can grow and learn from. And I think we first met Elisa. Well, we didn't actually meet, but we were doing a podcast in our old studio, rest in peace. Those are all, all everyone that remembers it. And Elisa was actually in before with her group for the whole prize. And me and Adam came in after and we saw their slides on the screen. I yeah. think you guys forgot to take them off. And we're like, fuck, this is cool. Like, this is like, it was this a really is really good presentation. Yeah. Like, we're actually looking at your presentation. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> and we're like, this is really cool. Um, and now we have you on our podcast. So a bit of a full circle here. And yeah, cool. One year. There you go. Yeah. And um, as Adam mentioned, you have a lot of kind of diverse experiences we can talk about, but I think something that I want to dive straight into, and I think is maybe some place of a different place to start is San Francisco. So you've spent a bit of time there. As we all know, Silicon Valley is the epicenter of startups. Um, what was your experience like in Silicon Valley? Yeah, so it was really interesting, right? Um, and I'll touch on a bit of my own experience as well as my co-founder who, um, you know, of Logic, who spent quite a bit of time there after the whole Holt Prize journey. Um, I was really fortunate where I spent quite a bit of time in the US um, for a couple months earlier last year. And uh, that opportunity came up um, through actually a program uh, working, uh, sorry, going to ACES um, at Stanford University. And so um, that whole program was an entrepreneurship uh you know, uh, startup focus. And it was really great to be, I guess, in Palo Alto, um, surrounded by incredible found, like student startup founders as well. And I think that's something that is really missing from the Australian ecosystem where, you know, over there, the community is insane. Like you can get access to um, really high up people, um, whether it's, you know, the product manager at Udacity or head of CPO. And, um, and what's great about it is so many people are willing to help you out. And because it's kind of this embedded culture within the community where almost everyone you see in the cafe is is probably a startup founder or VC and just being able to go off to I guess different meetups and events that's where you see like really great opportunities to just get kind of your feet into the ecosystem and meet absolutely incredible individuals and I think when you're surrounded by a lot of highly successful driven individuals that are there to solve these problems and have this really great um, technology understanding that's where you yourself feel quite um, driven and motivated to, to do your own thing and then you come back to Australia and it's like oh let's go to the beach yeah <laughs> so different modes of feelings but yeah absolutely it was an incredible experience yeah and I think we spoke to Michael Batkos um, Starmates here earlier today and he said that they take their cohort over to San Francisco and on the same day they just tweet the people and apparently yeah. like they meet up with CEOs and stuff like everyone is very open Such to talking culture. to people there which is really cool and I think it's a bit of a um, juxtaposition to what we hear about the tech douchebags in San Francisco, which I'm sure are probably still there, but it, it's us to know that it's like very open and people mm. are willing to help out. Yeah. And so you said you're part of Y Combinator, was it? 
Uh, yes, yeah, so I was working at uh, Inside Java, which is yeah. an edge company that um, was really fortunate to be a part of that team for that period of time when they did get into the YC uh, cohort for um, winter 2019, I believe. And um, and so, yeah, and the team moved over to SF temporarily. Um, and uh, I was able to work in Sydney for a bit. Um, and then it was really great because I think when the team moved over, that's when things really accelerated. Um, and I think you know, a large part, it becomes almost like you live and breathe our startup world over there. It's no longer just work. It's your kind of everything in life. So. Yeah. So what was it like being part of the Y Combinator culture? Because so someone that we really admire is this guy called Chamath Palahapatiya, who's a venture capitalist in um, San Fran. He's like sort of multi-billion dollar social impact fund. And he says Y Combinator is one of like three greatest sort of accelerators or VC firms in America. Like he literally describes it as if it's making the future. Like what was the culture being part of this community? Yeah, so I mean, I can only touch uh, and talk about, I guess, my experience hearing about it through, you know, the founder of the startup um, yeah. and also some friends as well that have gone through the program. But basically, I think, um, you know, working in a team that was going through that experience, it is very intense where the expectations and objectives and goals that are set are really ambitious. Um, I think as a startup coming from Australia, it's a very different story where our market is a lot smaller here. And yeah. so the expectations are naturally lower. Over there, I mean, when you're in the US, that, that market is huge. And so mm. expectations on sales revenue on your you know number of active users, your, your sign-up rate and stuff like that, like you have huge amounts of um, pressure. Uh, and yeah, like it's definitely a stressful experience. Um, and the team at Inside Shepherd did a fantastic job. And I still remember Pasha being like, uh, it was the, the, one of the founders to say, oh, let's go get 1 million new student signups in two and a half months before YC Demo Day. Um, and yeah, and like the, the really tough thing is they, um, you know, even talking to a YC team yesterday, um, there's this expectation where in a very short time period, you need to um, like achieve really high growth results and you, and you need to show that kind of month on month progress. And so if you've been a company that has been around for what, like two years, and, you know, even though your growth uh, results might be quite decent, if you've been around for already that long, there's an expectation of, you know, your your monthly recurring revenue and your active user rate is, is much higher than a typical early stage startup. And that's, I think, what's really difficult to sustain constantly that, 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 that level of growth improvement every single month and showing that kind of upward curve, which is what they're looking for. And that's something that a lot of the VCs over there um, uh, are looking at. Yeah. And I think you glossed over this, but weren't you in charge of getting the million users or you were tasked with that? Um, no. So the whole team, the whole team, that was the whole team's yeah. uh, task objective and stuff. And I was really fortunate to be uh, working with Alex at the time, um, who was kind of, you know, driving that whole area forward. And I think something that uh, people often miss is that when it comes to achieving growth, it's not just growth alone. You're talking about working with the devs, working with product, and it's this inbuilt cycle. And one of the greatest learnings that I got from that experience was that at the time, um, you know, I remember having these conversations about um, from the founders, social embedding social virality within the product so that the growth team and the product team could work together and uh, kind of accelerate that that motion and so yeah like i think that's also something that 
um, yeah, most people miss is that it's not just um, one team working in silo. It's everything is interconnected when you're an early stage startup and they all work off each other. It's not that one thing can be successful without the other. And so you have to all like everyone's doing their part to, to be the cogs in the system. So yeah. And cool. And so I think that's a nice little segue into what you're currently working on um, with Logic. So if you can give us a little, or our listeners, a bit of a brief overview of what that is, how it came about, and kind of where you see it going. Yeah, so pretty much um, with Logic, uh, we're, we're formerly known as Chance.io, but the whole basis behind it, and I guess I'll touch on firstly the problem that we're trying to solve, is that when it comes to um, seeking employment opportunities for a lot of my friends, peers, um, you know, I'm, I'm still a university student, so I'm surrounded by um, individuals that are going through this problem of, well, I'm in first year or second year uni, I don't have much experience in my resume, so how can I demonstrate myself, my character, my skill sets, when I don't have the formal credentials to list on my CV because I'm getting screened out of the recruitment process in stage one, right? And I guess that kind of talking to a lot of friends around that space that, that um, catalyzed this uh, journey of just going deeper into that problem set. And what um, my team realized um, was that there is currently not many systems out there um, and tools where they account for potential, so to speak. So what I mean by that is having some sort of way where you know, your future capabilities and potential and skill sets, while you don't have it formally right now, um, being able to determine that based off, you know, whether it be your soft skills, whether it be your personality profile, um, whether it be your current work style preference. And so for us, what we wanted to do was, uh, one, find a way to be able to uh, help these individuals and these uh, students demonstrate themselves in a way that was non-traditional. So we're talking about not your cookie cutter um, shaped candidates, it's people who have really great initiative, who can learn really quickly on the job while they don't have that formal experience, they're, they're motivated, they're determined. Um, and so for us, this also took us in an avenue where a lot of people who come from lower socioeconomic uh, circumstances, uh, you know, they didn't go to an elite school, um, high school or maybe university. And because of that, um, you know, they miss a lot of opportunities because once again, for, for a lot of companies, they're actually screened out of the process altogether. And so it's also bringing in that whole anonymity um, and that merit-based focus in, in terms of demonstrate your, your potential skills. Mm. And so for us to summarize, <laughs> um, so what we're doing at Logique now is um, we use something called challenge-based hiring. Uh, and skill passports to be able to uh, pretty much bring this platform and level the playing field um, for a lot of young people to demonstrate themselves in a non-traditional way. And at the moment, what that uh, looks like is with our challenge builder component, it's being able to simulate these real world um, challenges that you face uh, in a typical job scenario, rather than, you know, let's say a recruiter asking oh, in you know, 300 words or less, why, um, what marketing skills? have you shown in the past it's actually being able to do a real world marketing challenge and, and designing a campaign and using that as a basis to hire a candidate um, and progress them through the next round uh, so yeah and I guess to conclude as well like the whole premise behind that and the next step where we want to go is to be able to use 
the challenge hiring piece as a way to assess different candidates' soft skills. So we're talking your more tacit knowledge, your tacit um, skill sets, such as you know your your ability ability to learn quickly, your initiative. It's it's some of the things that um, I mentioned earlier. And uh, at the end of the day, we've we've our team has spoken to so many recruiters and employers, and that is where our future is going. That is the one thing that will. I guess, remain constant, no matter how many jobs people switch, your ability to adapt, your ability to be resilient, things like that, that is so critical for um, any particular job success. And there's a lot of research backing this up. So yeah, that was a long one. Thank I apologize. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And that's so, so important. Like companies these days, sometimes their hiring processes can seem so outdated. Like yeah. you sort of just show like the university you go to, what school you went to, but there's so many other methods that can signal intelligence, competence, and just your fit for a job. Mm. And like fit for a job, especially is an important thing that you touched on. Like if you just write 300 words saying my marketing experience, how much is that actually going to tell yeah. about your marketing experience rather than doing an actual task about marketing? Yeah. And I think there's a lot of potential for that to address a lot of the inequality of opportunity issues we have in terms of hiring me and Adam spent uh, embarrassing amount of time stalking people on LinkedIn and a lot of the people we look up to have very similar careers they go to these certain schools they go to business school they start off in investment banking you know it's a very like there's a lot of very traditional paths and I feel like something like what you're trying to build can kind of shift that away um what's the adoption been like so far with companies and what's kind of your trajectory looking like yeah, so at the moment, we're still quite early stage because, um, I mean, our team is now non-technical. So um, pretty much my co-founder and I are building from the ground up a product where we have no formal technical or coding experience. So that's been a challenge in of itself. However, we've been doing really well in finding workarounds around that in using a lot of no-code tools and automated workflow systems and stuff and building APIs. And so it's been great to, I guess, build up the product. What we've been doing is going through a bit of a feedback iteration uh, cycle. So for us, our approach in just, I guess, engaging um, our market segment is approaching, uh, you know, people in our customers, target customer segment, um, you know, saying, hey, let's get you on a call. Like, can you take a look at our product and stuff like that? Give us feedback. And so we would get feedback through each iteration. And I guess, like use that, um, use those opportunities to understand, okay, what are the blockers for onboarding this, uh, this customer as a client? Um, and what can we build to, to find a workaround? And so we're still experimenting, trialing things out, but the general sentiment has been quite positive. And I think for us, it's more of a uh, product issue than it is a, um, a market problem, because this is definitely something that almost everyone we've spoken to has said, this is absolutely a problem. Not enough companies are looking into that culture fit aspect as well when it comes to assessing a candidate from the get-go. And I think for certain organizations like early stage startups where every single hire is so, so critical and it deeply impacts the culture of the organization and how they scale up where they cannot risk a bad hire. Um, you know, it's situations like that where taking into account not just your intelligence, general IQ levels and how much work experience you have in your resume, there's a lot of other factors that go into building a team, so. Yeah, no, that's super, super interesting. If we can take like a little step back, where, where did this journey begin? Um, I know you mentioned you go into networking events at a young age, but I think a lot of people, for, for everyone listening, Elise is actually younger than me and Adam, and she's done wow. all these crazy stuff. So where did, this, where did this journey begin? And kind of what, what are some pivotal moments that made you the person you are today? Yeah, so hands down, 
Um, the first pivotal moment for me was I was really fortunate we're in high school um, you know I went to a public school uh, and I remember doing this leadership program putting my hand up for it and uh, I met uh, my first mentor through that program and that opportunity led I guess to my very first uh, work experience opportunity which was an internship at her social enterprise startup and that opportunity led to the next company and uh, and the theme I guess of a lot of the companies that I've worked at in the past has been this whole premise of creating opportunities and, and democratizing access to them uh, for, for people and so I've always been really passionate about that problem and about that space. Um, and so moving forward, <laughs> excuse me. Um, <coughs> I know I'm losing my voice. What is this? Um, <laughs> you guys will have to cut this out of the video. It's <laughs> called experience. This is the real talk that goes on. Um, why am I losing my voice all of a sudden? That's so weird. Um, <clears throat> so last year, uh, oh my gosh, is it last year? No, the year before, sorry. I'm losing track of time. End of 20, 2018. So I was in my uh, first year of university. I was very fortunate where um, this competition called Holt Prize um, was promoted on, on campus. And what Holt Prize is, is a social impact accelerator and competition um, that's one of the biggest uh, worldwide. And they work closely with the United Nations and the Clinton Foundation to set kind of a problem set every single year. And that cohort's uh, problem, which ended up being my cohort, was youth unemployment. And so when that issue came up, I was immediately almost feeling this sense of responsibility that I had to do something. I had to, I had to at least try and join in and participate and present some form of a solution. And I was really lucky where my co-founder, I had met him uh, about seven months earlier through Genesis, which is a startup competition that you said, where we both were working on our own other startups at the time. And, uh, and from there, he gave me a call um, seven months later being like, hey, have you heard about this competition? I was like, yeah, I was thinking of applying. And he was like, well, I was going to call you to uh, invite you to be part of, um, you know, being on a team together. And I said, hell yeah. And so I guess that journey was incredible. It took us from, um, you know, coming together end of 2018, competing in the University of Sydney round. We actually lost that round, by the way, by 0.5 points. Um, but how we ended up progressing was Whole Prize has this uh, wild card round where you can um, apply directly to regional um, regional area. So we applied for the Dubai regionals. And so we ended up taking risk on ourselves by paying for a flight um, and going on that plane to Dubai during the middle of exams. Um, and we ended up winning that round out of 70 teams there. And that was a really great experience because we ended up being the first ever Australian team to ever progress that far and actually win a regional round. And that was London um, and staying in a castle for about two months um, in uh, the countryside of London or of England. And, um, and that's where we were surrounded by so many other young uh, startup founders from across the globe. And I guess from there, you know, that took us to New York, to the UN headquarters um, and yeah, and that, took us back to Australia and so I think that whole experience was incredible because um, the big focus there was on that social impact piece and solving a, a bigger problem and breaking that down um, and we're still we're still working on that to this day so that's an awesome story yeah. jumping on a plane in the middle of exams to go and yeah as a wild card <laughs> that is that's fucking awesome 
That's right. so sick. Um, I feel like that's a pretty good segue into something we usually discuss on our podcast. So I think this is an extension of something me and Adam think about a lot, which is this whole exciting startup world and also the corporate world. And so how you've obviously had a lot of startup experience, um, but also now considering doing internships as well, as well. So what, what's kind of your view and all that? And kind of like, if we can relate this to the general university student who's thinking about, okay, do I join the corporate or startup world? Even if they're not that different. Yeah, yeah. So here's my personal experience because I'm going through it myself at the moment. So um, Sachin, you know, I've spoken to you about it where I have been working in startups for quite a number of years now. I've also worked in a few agencies, so I've gotten a bit of a uh, taste of um, those different organizations. However, I've never actually had a corporate experience. And it wasn't until um, maybe beginning of this year that I started going, you know, everyone in startup world is very much against the corporate sector and I'm someone that goes, well, let me experience it for myself and, and make my own judgment based off that. And for me, I'm always seeking diverse experiences. I think it's not about being absolute and going all in on one or not. It's always a journey of being able to find a, a company or apply for an internship that just suits your needs at that time. So my thinking towards why I apply for started applying for corporate internships um, this year was because one I had never held a corporate job before and I thought that it would give me a unique perspective and a, a different thought process um, and understanding of how it works in teams over there um, because in a way whatever it is you do if you do it for a long time and you stay in that one field you are going to end up in a tunnel vision whether that's startup or corporate world um, doesn't matter and so I think it's really important to stay on your toes and, and engage these different organizations and I think that the number one uh, priority when you're at university level is to explore different roles different companies, different experiences, because how do you know what you want unless you've tapped in and actually tried different things? I can very easily say that startup world is for me 100%. Well, that may not be the case. How can I say that? Because I've never held a corporate job before. And so I think it's just a matter of what, where are your interests at the moment? What do you want to learn? Where do you want to grow? And of course, um, there is that ongoing concern of, well, I need to think about my long-term future. You know, do I, do I want to have a really high paying job, you know, by the age of 25, have financial stability, you know, set up a family, whatever it may be. Um, and I think, yes, like absolutely, that's an important consideration. However, on the flip side, you are in your early 20s this is no better time than to just take those risks and do whatever it is you want. You don't have, um, generally for most people, those other responsibilities of a mortgage of kids. And so if you think that, you know, now is the wrong time and, and it's not worth taking a risk now, well, it's just going to get worse from here on out. I, I hate to say that, but you are just going to have more and more responsibilities as time goes on. So I think, um, one, a potential more practical strategy would be, you know, you graduate, you could get into a corporate job. Um, I think it is important to, um, you know, I guess, learn the ropes from um, more senior individuals. And then if you do want to actually pursue the startup world and do your own thing, I actually think it's great if you have that experience either working in a big tech company or under other really fast growth um, startups or even corporate worlds and then once you've acquired that knowledge and skill sets then you can actually start your own business later because then you have that that experience to help you 
it is so hard to, to start a startup and a business when you're young because you don't have the connections, you don't have the knowledge or experience, you're learning everything for the first time. And that's really, really tricky. And if you look at the average age of when, uh, you know, most startups um, start, start their businesses, it's actually like the late thirties. It's not even, you, you would think it's younger, but it really isn't. And that just goes to show that, you know, don't think that if I don't pursue startup world now that it's completely gone. It's actually, it may be more advantageous to, to delay that and, and experience that later. Yeah, that's some really good advice. And I really like that you've got the open mind of saying that I'm going to work in some startups in uni, but also try the corporate route. Um, I, and I agree with that. I think people should definitely try working for a startup. It doesn't have to be co-founding one when you're at a young age, but what would you say to universities to sort of entice them to try something different, like working in growth at a startup? Like, do you think there's particular skills that you can get um, or particular experiences you can get at a startup, which is very, very particular to being at a startup as opposed to a big company? Yeah, absolutely. So in a startup, completely different from what I've heard, um, where you get to take ownership. I think that's the number one thing um, that advantage you get from working in a startup. Because there's less people in the team, it's a smaller group of individuals, you're putting on a lot more hats than you probably bargained for initially. In a corporate job, you're already siloed into a very specific area, niche focus. And the problem with that is when you're so young, um, if you narrow yourself too early, that, that, that can actually really detriment your, your job opportunities later in life. Um, whereas in a startup uh, scene, you're able to explore different interests. You're able to do all those things that I just discussed where you're able to tap into different um, you know, role opportunities, different kind of um, environments, different types of industries as well. So let's say that you're working for um, a startup where they have clients across you know, IoT, um, you know, infrastructure services, all these different areas areas you're able to kind of get a taste of everything um, but ultimately what's fantastic about it is you're able to lead your own initiatives and I think as long as you're willing to learn um, and you're willing to try new things uh, and you take that step forward you can take away so much like when I think about a lot of the things that um, I've learned I just think about all these different startup experiences that I've had and these new skills that I've developed um, whether it be on you know more growth oriented side um, and working under you know people mentors and bosses that that have so much knowledge about the space um, I think it's just honestly the greatest learning opportunity you can have at this point in time and I think getting that really um, diverse knowledge set and and skill sets of you know working hard being committed um, and just really learning all of these different areas. I can't really be specific because there's just so many things you learn. It's not just about if you take on a marketing internship, you're only going to do marketing. You might tap into a bit of product. You might tap into a bit of operations and automating backend systems. Like there's all of these things that come up that you just simply don't get, I think, in a corporate environment as quickly or as vastly as you typically would in a startup. Mm. Yeah, no, that's what super interesting. Up? And I think a lot of our guests have echoed that same kind of, um, that theme of ownership. Mm. I'm going to put you on the spot here because I know you can handle it. Um, what, what business do you think that should be built right now that no one's building apart from Logic? It's a very oh, question. That's really hard. Um, hmm. Interesting. I mean, I think at this point in time, right, like health tech is obviously, um, you know, telehealth is a big conversation at the moment. Um, but I think one particular area that I'm really fascinated by is kind of providing this 
um, uh, blend of the physical realm and the digital realm. Um, I mean, I come from a non-technical area where I, I love people and I love technology. And so finding that intersection would be uh, really, really great. And so a business where you're almost able to provide this ultra frictionless experience, right? So like, so you're getting to a point where technology is connected to your neural networks. So me being able to process a thought and that thought being translated into a physical outcome. So an example of that might be as simple as in the financial services, right? Where, and, and this is a bit of a dangerous zone for end consumers, but um, on the business side, they would be really successful where it's like, you know, they would think, oh, I really want this item. And then they're already able to, um, you know, have some items pop up, whether it's through, you know, holographics or whatever it may be. And then that transaction is able to be processed almost instantly without card details. It, it literally comes from a thought popping up into your brain. I think that, I mean, obviously we're a long way off from that, um, but that would be a really, really cool business um, to see come out. Yeah, I think that's going to 100% be one of the next big pieces of technology in the next 30, 40 years. And I think Elon Musk just sort of displayed that like a couple of weeks ago, this yeah. Neuralink technology, we can implant yeah. computer chips in um, animals' brains and through AI, you can basically make decisions for that. It's pretty scary as well. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I was actually looking at that as well. And I think um, if we could add an additional question on, uh, startup people are stereotypically very tech focused, right? Very innovation focused. And from kind of my view, sometimes almost too much. Like we hear a lot about the ethical implications of AI, where we're heading with all this. Andrew Yang has been pretty outspoken about all this innovation, but all this increase in inequality. Um, I was wondering what your views on that are. Like when, when, when can you be too techy and too kind of focused on growth and innovation? Yeah, I think it's when uh, you focus on the solution and what you are building, that is the product, over the problem that you you originally set out to solve. Mm. I think so long as you always stick to doing things, adding new features, building a product that solves some sort of real world problem, you can never steer too away from, I guess, having that human touch point. And, you know, there's all these, um, you know, problems that come about where it's like, you know, software engineers over engineering a product where they, they build all of these new features um, without it actually adding much value. And that's simply because they're focused on making a cool product rather than going, what's the original problem we're solving? for who are we solving it for how do we how does this add value to their personal experience and user journey um and i think as long as you stick by that mindset um then then it keeps you on the right path because i mean it is very easy to get off track um and i think that just comes away from not talking to your customer segment and becoming complacent um as kind of the two reasons why that that often occurs and the thing is for a lot of the tech engineers um and technical people in a team they're often not the ones actually engaging with customers having those conversations understanding the needs it's often the ones that you know are, are more from the business side that are doing that and then those individuals are communicating that to the tech teams right but then there's often this conflict because to the tech people they think that the business people don't really understand what what's required to build a product it's a lot of work you know you can't just request this and and we can solve it in a day um there's a lot more processes to that same thing from the business side where it's like you know the the business uh employees are going well we need to solve this need um and and the technical people are not are not necessarily um focusing on that they're focusing on other areas and stuff and so i think 
it's it's really just coming together and having, I guess, the more technical people on the team actually interacting with customers and at least having that communication of the insights as to why um, maybe a customer is not performing a certain action or why um, they're not using the platform as often, why they may be dissatisfied. That's really important conversation to keep going there. Yeah, this is a conversation me and Sachin have had a lot lately. And I think the prime case study here is the big social media companies. So obviously these companies, they're a huge value, value add to our lives. Don't need to go into that. And I think when they were a lot younger, we sort of saw them as really passionate companies trying to solve these problems. Now a lot of the talk about them is that they're hiring engineers for absurd amounts of monies, absurd amount of money just to sort of engineer these algorithms to sort of make people more addicted, sort of invading your privacy in certain ways. And you realize that as these companies get bigger, they do lose that passion, that sort of focus on the product. And it's more so about how can I just engineer more attention, more growth, more, pro more profit. And I think it's a very natural thing because as you become a bigger company, you become accountable to shareholders, to debt holders. And it, it's hard to, to have that passion, but it's something that we've seen a lot. Yeah, and there's been certain companies um, that actually have chosen not to scale to maintain that authenticity. Really? Like um, there's this company in Silicon Valley. It's a software company. I'll add the um, name in the show notes, but they actually haven't gone past 40 employees because they're, they're making good money and they've kind of like rethought this idea of scaling being the best thing in the world because they're, they're saying at 40 um, employees we can have the best company culture we can still make a lot of money we can still address a problem and we can still have work-life balance I think that's going to be a huge outlier though i don't think and, that's, no, no yeah. it definitely is an outlier yeah. and and it's a case study of what, when do we kind of stop this kind of scaling focus because as adam said when vcs get in um when companies ipo things become a lot more complicated than just uh, um solving the problem focus um, and, and then yeah. that's where we shift between the startup and the corporate world. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, I think at the end of the day, like when you, it's like what, um, you know, you guys were saying where when you bring in new parties, for example, like even as an early stage startup, when you raise money, there's a reason why a lot of founders will say, try and avoid raising for as long as you can, because mm. the second you do, you're bringing in another stakeholder into the decision-making process where they have more control or maybe not more, but they have a say in what, what type of problems you're solving, in what type of customers you're helping and what the priorities are when it comes to your goals, whether that's revenue, you know, whether it's um, active usage, whether it's, you know, actually making an impact and generally it, it falls in that order. So at the end of the day, they want an ROI and, you know, you brought them in. So you've kind of got to expect that from the start that, well, as the second I bring someone on the team, that's coming from that background, well, I'm going to have to be a lot more money focused and deliver on what they're asking for. Mm, yeah. yeah. And isn't that like kind of what you just made notes about? Yeah, I was just writing notes about, I think, I think it's fascinating how the sort of dynamics of a startup, they do shift over time. And I think it essentially just comes down to this idea that when other people's interests, interests are at stake, you're almost forced to, uh, focus more on that sort of profit profit and like the monetary basis yeah of the firm yeah um so if we can shift gears a little bit you've had this kind of insane experience in your life well me and adam think is pretty insane at such a young age and done a lot of cool stuff from your experience what has been kind of the things that you could the gems or pieces of wisdom you could pass on to other university students who maybe trying to do the same thing or just trying to discover their kind of place in the world yeah i think 
the first thing is to not rush that process of, I guess, discovering yourself in the world. Um, I'm still working it out myself, don't get me wrong. And I think the best mentality that you can have is honestly to not think about your 10 year, 20 year strategy. I'm someone that's like that. I like to plan things ahead of time. But I think what we've learned from even COVID, right, is for all those people that had that five or 10 year plan for this year ending and, um, and things completely shift gears. We can't control when our economy goes into an absolute downturn. We can't control what happens in our outer environment. What we can control is how we respond to all these different situations. And I think at the end of the day, you've got to focus on, okay, the, the shorter kind of timeline of what, what is good for me now? What, what can I learn right now that of course think in terms of future as in, you know, how may this help me in the future, but don't plan out your life. And then if something doesn't happen, you know, run away and feel awful because it didn't go according to plan because you can't control that. And so I think, you know, it's a matter of sticking by principles and values um, as to, I guess, what, what do you know for certain that, that you may be looking for, or it could be a process of elimination. So you can go by either of those two strategies where it's like, you know, let me go through all these different experiences. Even if I don't like it, that's okay. I've learned that I don't like it and never want to go into that. That's great. That's still a step forward because you're getting a step closer to refining, I guess, what you want and what your purpose may be, where your interests may lie and what type of career you want to build. And I think it's really interesting because what we think that we want right now is generally not the case in five years time, maybe. And every single experience shapes our perspective of what we want, our interests. It's not just this one-way direction of here's my personality, here's my strengths, here's my dreams as of now, and that's what it's going to be. Your environment and your personality, your, your objectives in life, your goals, they all bounce off each other. And so every single time you go into a new situation or a new company, I think the most important thing is to go, am I going to grow here? Am I going to learn? How is this going to better my life now and possibly in the future? And just go from there. And I think as long as you are more intentional about what type of environment you want to be in, then I think that's absolutely the, the way you should conduct your decision-making process there. Again, that's something we were talking about just before, <laughs> yeah. about choosing uh, the environment and the people over like what you're yeah. doing. Yeah. And I think it's a massive thing people yeah. should reflect on. Yeah, and yeah, as Adam said, kind of in our last episode, a lot of people are very focused on what company they want to go into, right? What does that company do? Do I want to go into investment banking or venture capital or whatever? And I think it is really helpful to reframe that and think about, okay, what kind of people do I want to work with? Where do I see myself? Where do I see myself learning the most from? Um, which is cool. It's nice to see these thematic similarities in a lot of the guests we've been talking to. Mm, I think it's also like a similarity with startup people. Yeah. They just think differently. <laughs> different yeah. Um, I think, um, oh, sorry. No, no, go on, go on. Uh, I was just going to say as the last add-on, I think um, the gap when people, when people think about what companies they want to work at, right? I think it's very common for everyone to aim for the stars, go for the big tech companies, big brands, Google, Microsoft, big management consulting firms, top IB firms, Goldman Sachs, etc. But here's the thing, right? You're, there is a massive gap between what the company is doing, what their goals are, what direction they're taking versus your success in that particular job, in that particular team and who your manager or boss is. I think that little circle there is 
far more critical in terms of, um, I guess, driving your success um, in, in, in that organization, right? And I think most people miss this. And I think we underestimate the importance of also being intentional about what team are we working in and exactly what you said, Sajin, who are the people am I going to be closely working with? Not the people that are the CEO, you know, C-suite executives and managers and stuff. It's, it's who's that going to be working directly with you closely. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's something we talked about um, with my experience with Deloitte Digital. And I came mm. in with that, that mindset that I probably wasn't going to enjoy it, but the actual people immediately around me were people I looked up to, learned a lot from. And for me, that was like a big tick for my experience. But also, I think in the startup world, we can, we can always say that, look, surround yourself with great people and stuff like that. But the, the fact of the matter is you can join startups and you may not have that experience with people, right? So I think it's also being intentional about what kind of founders you want to work with. Let's say yeah. we all worked with someone that was super, super technical. Maybe we wouldn't have that great an experience in terms of our personal development or whatever. So I think it, it goes both ways with teams and also what startup you join. Mm, 100%. There's a balance there. Um, so I think, I think we have to finish off in a second. But uh, as, a, as our flagship question, we always ask um, if you could leave our audience of 18 to 25 year old university students with kind of one piece of advice from your life, what would that be? Tough one. Um, I would, I would stick by kind of what I've said throughout this um, whole conversation so far. And that's just explore, explore it and try new things. Um, and I think at the end of the day, like it's, you know, it's amazing to see that people sometimes they'll, they'll do one thing and then they know exactly what they want and they do absolutely incredible in pursuing that journey. But I think, you know, not having to worry about, oh, I need to hurry up and find what career I want to do. That's an ever, ever changing uh, journey. And we have what the next 60 years of our lives before we retire to, to discover kind of what journey we want. And obviously as society is evolving, as te technology is changing, nothing is becoming sudden anymore. Everything is becoming unpredictable. And so the most critical thing is to just be open to new experiences to explore and adapt as you go. Yeah, no, I think awesome that, that's really awesome. Wisdom beyond your years. Um, yeah. So that was 31. Episode 31 with Elisa. Thank you so much for joining us. Really um, I, I think as a bit of a side note, I was telling Adam that when we got a coffee that you're probably the only person I know that's more intense than myself. And I realized that this is probably what it's people feel like when be. they're talking to me, <laughs> um, yeah. which is awesome. Because that, that podcast it's wasn't that long, but I reckon we if we put a lot into it. But I reckon if we looked at the actual words spoken, it'd be longer than some of our one and a half hour ones, yeah. um, which, is, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Um, but yeah. If you get me on a topic I like, I'll just start talking like this. <laughs> no, that was awesome. um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us thank and you. all the best with your startup endeavors. Oh, thank you guys. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. It was good to chatting with you guys. Cool. See you Cheers. later. Cheers. All right. See you later.